Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Well, this week we have Lauren. Hey. Carl. Hi there. And Justin. This will be part one of our Nobel Prize special, where we actually look into the groundbreaking research that has been awarded the 2014 Nobel Prize. And we're going to be kicking it off this week by looking at medicine and physiology, where we find out some amazing work being done on brains and understanding where we are. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. So this week's study of science is Stockholm in Sweden. And why are we talking about Stockholm? Specifically because this week's episode is about the Nobel Prize. So the Nobel Prize is a set of annual international awards um, set in a whole bunch of different categories, awarded by a group of Swedish and Norwegian committees um, in recognition of scientific advances. So these prizes can be awarded to a group of six different categories. These could be physics, chemistry, physiology or medicine, literature, and peace. Obviously, no prize for mathematics, um, because mathematics at the time of creation wasn't perceived as something that would be separate from those other categories. So don't, if, you, if you're a mathematician, don't freak out. There are other awards for you, but the Nobel Prize is not directly open to you, though you can win it in other categories. So if you win a Nobel Prize, you'll um, luckily not only just have your name go down in history with your amazing discoveries, you'll also receive a laureate, a gold medal, a diploma, and a sum of money. And um, at the moment, that sum of money is worth around uh, $1.2 million uh, in US dollars. Um, a big caveat on that is that the prize can only be won but shared between three people. So um, it's 1.2 million, maybe divided by three, so you know, you have to divide it up, and uh, it's a bit tricky. Um, what are the other some of... How long has the Nobel Prize been going for, Lauren? So the Nobel Prize has been around for almost for over 100 years. It was first awarded in 1901 and is now still being awarded at present with 791 men and 44 women receiving the Nobel Prize. And interestingly, 21 organisations who have also won it. <laughs> I like that statistic in there, which is also a bit worrying in terms of gender representation. Um, now, one of the other caveats that's really important about the Nobel Prize is that it can only be awarded to people who are still alive. So it means that, unfortunately, if you are deceased, you can't claim credit for it, even though it might be your research that uh, has won the prize. So this week we're going to be talking about the Nobel Prize, because as they were just awarded at time of recording, literally in the midst of being announced, um, as we record on the 8th of October, uh, we'll have mostly got through all of the scientific prizes. In fact, the Chemistry Prize was just announced as I am speaking right now. So if this was live radio, it would be amazing. Um, but unfortunately, this is a podcast, so you have to just imagine that it's happening. <laughs> Um, but we'll be going through some of the scientific Nobel Prizes this year, talking a bit about what they discovered and what they mean for humanity and some of the impact that they've had on our everyday life. I'm going to kick it off this week by talking about the first Nobel Prize that I was awarded in 2014. That is the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine, the combined category, which often rewards fantastic medical researchers and doctors for some interesting work and discoveries about the human body and treatment of various illnesses and disease. So what fascinating biological quandary were we investigating this year in the Nobel Prize Award for 2014, Lauren? So this year, the Physiology or Medicine Nobel Prize was awarded to three neuroscientists for their research into the brain's GPS. All right, so just before we 
go back a bit further. What is a neuroscientist? Are they are they people who um, dig neurons? Because I know what a neuron is. It's the kind of the thing inside an atom, right? No, I don't know. I'm a physicist no. by background, so no. Well, that's a neutron, oh, of course. <laughs> I was confused. I, so, so what's a neuroscientist, and what area are we talking about in terms of medicine? Okay, so a neuroscientist is someone who studies the brain. Um, so in terms of neuroscientists, um, this can usually be into things like usually diseases. Um, for example, neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative diseases, which usually has to do with the brain breaking down or like different, the differences between human brains with different disorders. Right, so neurodegenerative diseases that imp- impair your ability to function as a human with things like memory, such as Alzheimer's and dementia. So what exactly was discovered by these neuroscientists this year that we're looking at? So why these neuroscientists are like, um, what they discovered was so cool, was um, they actually looked at the brain and how it remembers basically where you've been and how space works. Wait, so our brain's basically almost concept of space, time and, you know, mapping. Yes, basically how your brain creates a map, for example, like the map of your house as you walk around, why you can like close your eyes and like walk three steps and know that the door is going to be directly there. Well, that, that is, seems like a useful survival trait, but we didn't really understand how that worked inside the brain? No, basically we couldn't exactly figure out where it was and how the brain kept track of maps. Okay, so we knew that the brain obviously did it because we had proof by the fact that we can do it, but Mm -hmm. we weren't exactly sure what mechanism was inside the brain was responsible for that. Mm -hmm. So to investigate this, the researchers looked at the hippocampus in rats and had them go around like little built houses that they had. And so each time that the rat would go into a different room, different parts of the hippocampus would light up. So, So they basically put these rats to circumstances and then try to see which part of the brain responded to the different stimuli in different locations. Mm-hmm. And they called these different, like, cells that lit up, they called them place cells because they, like, they represented different places that the rats had been to and their associations with them, like, positive and negative associations. Okay. So they, they, they tried to actually track what the brain's response was, whether it was positive and negative as well as just its response to a specific space. So what did the place cells, what did we discover about these place cells? So basically what was fantastic about this is finding what the place cells were and what they did, which was like associating specific areas and building a map inside your brain. And why this is so interesting for humans is um, knowing that which part of the brain this is located in, we actually found out that this cortex hippocampus area is actually one of the first areas of the brain that are damaged in some of the neurodegenerative diseases we were talking about before like alzheimer's which is why some of the first symptoms in alzheimer's patients is that they lose their way and become easily disoriented right now this this research is one some of the research actually has been done over a long period of time um and it's not just a single person who won this prize this prize was awarded to john o'keefe from the sainsbury welcome center for neural circuits which is an amazing place um and the husband and wife duo of may Britt moser um, from the center of neural computation at trondheim and edvard moser director of the calville institute of systems neuroscience in trondheim as well so night in the 1970s O'Keefe um, actually discovered there was a positioning location, these, these place cells, and observed them and did a lot of these studies in these rats. But it wasn't until, um, and, you know, this, this kicked up a whole bunch of 
area of neuroscientists really digging into what it means to understand place and time and how the brain works. But it wasn't until about 2004 or 2006 when in a series of studies, the husband and wife team of Maybrith and Edvard Moser actually dug into more specifically the mechanisms inside the brain that actually were responsible for the location of places. And not only confirmed some of the original work in the 1970s by O'Keefe, but actually explored a bit more what was involved in it, including the fact that we build a grid system inside these cells. So, um, like, you basically, your cells are understanding locations and they sort of build a mini-map grid um, inside your brain to model the grid of the world around you, um, like a street map. Uh, and you can associate different and positive negative feelings for specific points or points of interest on this grid that you build inside your brain, um, which is really quite fascinating. So it really, the, the three of these researchers all walked at different aspects and different experiments, but it all came together and helped us understand effectively how our brain builds maps of our locations inside our brain uh, to help us remember where we are and how important it is to maintain that and keep it healthy. I did the other week, actually. Well, what's that, Garth? Well... Okay, so about 30 years ago, she lived out in Thornbury somewhere. Of course, I wasn't around back then. Obviously. But, um, <laughs> on the way home from her exercise class, she told the taxi driver to take her back to that house, insisting that it was her place, even though he had um, had specific instructions from the people at the um, hospital where she was doing her mm. aerobics and also getting her um, checkup because her brain's deteriorating. Mm. I managed to convince him to take her back to this house. Oh, okay. So even though she's um, losing her memory quite dramatically, she can still remember exactly where she lived 30 years ago. Yeah, and that's one of the really interesting parts about neurodegenerative disorders is that it often has an impact on not exactly everything in the same way, and certain places and certain things can be triggered or more easily remembered than others, specifically in context. So you might forget about something completely, but all of a sudden have a contextual trigger um, or a point of interest that your brain immediately goes, ah, okay, now with these pieces of the puzzle, I actually know where I am. Um, and much in the same way, if you look up at a skyline, you go, oh, actually, I know that building, I need to head this way. Sometimes your brain pieces together small pieces of information to actually help you then realize exactly where you are by looking for these waypoints or points of interest. And that was actually what they were looking at with rats and responding to the grid and helping them understand, you know, when the rat associated and saw these things, it helped them build up this idea of where they were. And that's why we can do it in the dark. So when you can't see, that's not an instance of you having brain brain damage. It's the fact that uh, there is no light, so you can't see around you. But you build up your map of the room. And then when you walk and walk into the wall or your dressing table, you actually have some input and then you go oh no actually i know exactly where i am so <laughs> once you have that additional piece of information you can actually learn a lot more about it and you go actually i know exactly where i am and i can walk straight out here and that's kind of one of the really interesting ways that our brain works and it's really fascinating that these scientists have helped us shed light on how exactly our brain works and operates In terms of finding your way home and making maps in your mind, mm. how ants did that was by how ants used to do or still do that is by counting the number of steps. 
And how that was discovered was uh, scientists glued tiny little stilts to the legs of mice, um, to the legs of ants, <laughs> and they overshot the hole by twice as much because of the stilts. That is an amazing story. I can't believe that someone would actually... That's, that is the most ingenious proof. Like, I, I had <laughs> the theory stilts. that they're counting them, and they're somehow using their stems, which, which is a pretty straightforward one. I mean, we even mm. do that sometimes. But um, to actually stick stilts on them... <laughs> Well, and mess well, with them. Yeah, the other ones who kind of cut their legs in half, which is kind of probably a bit more mean. But bit more fasc- mean. The fascinating but... part about that is he managed to actually make stilts for the ant because ants' <laughs> legs are tiny. Must be made out of like cat whiskers or something. <laughs> Maybe. So in honour of the Nobel Prize, we're going to do some fast facts about the actual Nobel Prize itself, just to help you learn a bit more about the amazing award that it is, and some of the people who have been recognised with the wins. Now, as we spoke about earlier, the Nobel Prize itself cannot be awarded posthumously, which means that, unfortunately, if you have passed away, even if you've contributed to some amazing research, you may not actually be declared a winner. However, it has been won twice to someone um, posthumously. And in both of these instances, uh, this occurred when people, they were notified that they'd won the Nobel Prize, but the Nobel Prize committee themselves hadn't actually figured out that that person had died yet. And in, in the age of mass media and the internet, this is obviously not just common, but it is has been possible for people to win Nobel Prizes posthumously in really, really exceptional circumstances. But as a rule, they don't actually give it out to people who have become deceased, which is a real shame because that's one of the reasons why Rosalind Franklin did not get any credit for her amazing groundbreaking work in discovering DNA. Another amazing and fun fact about the Nobel Prize is the average age for the Nobel Prize. Now, you'd think that with the awards such as this, it would be going to people who have been working in their field for many, many years. And that is generally the case. Broadly, the average age for a Nobel Prize laureate is around 59 out of all 863 winners, which is about what you'd expect for something that's meant to award uh, to outstanding research that has been accepted and proven in the field. But... In the area of physics, it has, outside of the Nobel Peace Prize, the lowest average age uh, from the sciences categories of 25, and that was won by an Australian, William Lawrence Bragg, who actually won that together with his father in some of the amazing outstanding physics work in 1915. The Bragg uh, duo, effectively, dominated the physics scene for a long period of time and actually won several Nobel Prizes for outstanding work in physics and chemistry and helping us understand the, model, the atom and uh, nuclear physics. Now, with that in mind, and speaking of Australia, it's interesting to think about how much awards and Nobel Prizes Australia has actually won. Um, to date, in 2014, we have won 10 Nobel Prizes, so 10 Nobel laureates. Um, to think about that in some perspective, Canada has won about 17. The United States, of course, has won 256, so they're really clearly leading the way as groundbreakers in research. Um, but we're not doing too badly. Uh, China has won 11, um, and we probably uh, are being helped quite a lot by the contributions of the Bragg's. Um, but there are several other countries which are, you know, catching up in, in our in our uh, sort of area. Japan has won 21, um, and UK 93. So we are doing quite well for our size. Um, certainly, if you based about the population, we're punching well above our weight. But it's certainly an area of opportunity where we can improve our abilities. Comparatively, South Africa has won nine. So we're, we're you know, other Commonwealth countries we're about on par. 
Interestingly, there's no real home field advantage because Sweden has only won 28 times and for an award that is based out of Sweden and Norway, um, they aren't really dominating the charge, which is good to see that there's no bias in the award. Now, we like to think of science and research as a collaborative team-based exercise, but it's actually quite interesting to think of all the Nobel Prizes that have been awarded and see how much have actually involved a team. Now, out of the 107 that have been awarded in physics, it's only been shared um, by about 50 times, so about 50% of the share rate, which is very interesting to see. Comparatively, medicine has a much higher share rate, around the 60 to 70 mark. Uh, Nobel Peace Prize is obviously one that is done much more individually. Same with literature, you know, it's very rarely shared for those things as they're generally around individual achievements. But chemistry and medicine, they are, compared to the other Nobel Prizes, really quite team-based exercises, and they generally get awarded to multiple people at once, which goes to show that even if you're most brilliant scientist being recognized by a Nobel Prize, you still rely on the support and work of other people to get you through to that next level of research, which is why science is one of the best group exercises, and to work really successfully as a scientist, you have to understand not just your field, but how it can interact and help others, and that's the way that you reach truly fantastic new heights. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we've talked about the amazing work being done to help us understand place cells in the brain, which helps us build an understanding and map inside our heads of where we are and what we get up to. So that's the Nobel Prize for 2014 in Medicine and Physiology. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.